0: Welcome to the Arts Union Science Journal. Please enter your password.
1: Dear reviewers of the Arts Union Science Journal, welcome back to the journal that intends to analyze movies the way others analyze science. Today, we humbly present Episode 5 of Volume 2, which is titled, Discovery and Phylogenetic Analysis of the Rare Photosynthesizing Horror Film from the Scandinavian Countryside, Species Name Ariaster midsummer. colon, A Rope of Sand. My name is Tyler D.R. Vance, I'll be your corresponding author, and we are joined today by our first author, Kathleen Shu. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well, how are you?
1: (laughs) Oh, you know, it's it's a bright sunny day out, perfect kind of opportunity to talk about a horror movie that also takes place in a very bright and sunny, beautiful landscape. Of course, the Scandinavian countryside is a little bit prettier than what I'm looking at. When I look outside my window, I'm looking at a power plant.
2: And I'm currently in a basement, so we don't usually get a lot of sun either way. Uh, but uh, but I will take it at your word that it's beautiful outside. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it is nice. It is nice. Uh, I don't think it's as nice temperature-wise. It's that unfortunate thing in the winter, right? When it's like, as the sunnier it gets, the more likely it is to be cold outside because of those damn high-pressure systems.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm just glad that the snow has melted a little bit. and. Walking is no longer quite as much of a suffering mess as it was over the past little bit.
1: <laughs> well, we here are actually not meteorologists, so we don't know much about those, like the the goings on in the atmosphere out there. Um, but we do both have is like affiliations to science as a general concept. Um. Our first author's affiliations include a Bachelor of Science Honors in Psychology from Queen's University, followed up by a Master's in Neuroscience from McGill University, and now in the process, well, actually having already like, received your MD from the University of Alberta, and now doing residency. Is that all correct? Yep. Look at that. Look yep. at me knowing shit. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, that's the move. That's the reason for the move from Alberta. And um, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been uh, an interesting time moving to the city while it was like in full lockdown. And uh, yeah, like, you know, I feel like I'm not getting everything that Toronto has to offer, but I think I'm also seeing a different side of it. Um, so in, a, in that sense, it's it's been interesting.
1: Yeah, I remember driving down the streets of Toronto a little while ago and looking. It's like, oh, look at all these nice restaurants. I wish I could go into any of those. <laughs> all the good reasons to be in this city are now is like being like locked off from me.
2: But at the very least, I think I, I hear traffic has been better for people, so that's maybe <laughs> that's, a, a a slight bonus. <laughs> that's
1: true. I do appreciate the better traffic. Yeah. Um, it's a it's it's a rarity that I do drive in the city, but when I do, I I uh, I appreciate the fact that there are less people yelling at me.
3: Yeah.
1: Not no people, but yeah. less. Yeah. <laughs> Fewer. Yeah.
2: We we can't wish for no people. That's just being unrealistic.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was like there's there is a part of me that has that kind of like Thanos level mentality of like, wouldn't it be nice if the city had like half as many people in it? But then at the same time, that's what makes a big city a big city. And it gives it its personality, for better or worse.
2: <laughs> no. I do miss the people watching on the street, though. Uh, now, it's, especially since now I feel like my walking is more, you know, essential needs based. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. You only walk leave. when you need to. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah. Well, if that's your affiliations with science, we actually don't do a whole lot of science talk here, which is a like, fortunately for our beleaguered viewers, listeners, audience members keegan like they all they all have different <laughs> different names um so instead we actually do a lot of talk about movies here um and if that's the case it's like what would you say your affiliations to movies are as in if someone were to ask i need a cv from you that says how what qualifies you to speak at length about film what would be on that cv
2: wow i mean i feel like it would just be blank and, <laughs> you know, kind of a little like looking into the void, you know? Yeah. But, yep. uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say in terms of like affiliation, if you can use such a word, it's essentially that um, I feel like my early experiences with movies are very much like a special events type scenario where it was always an outing with a group of people from elementary school in China and um and, and I rarely watched films other than those contexts. And uh, so you know they're so so they're almost exclusively associated with field trips and it would usually be whatever you know big picture happens to be on the scene at that time in my sort of mid-sized city in China. I remember watching like Titanic and Tarzan like in theaters uh obviously like i I guess obviously Chinese stuff because I would have been speaking only Chinese at that point in my life <laughs> and uh and uh and yeah, so I think I've always just associated with sort of um a special event outing and not as much of a maybe like home based entertainment that uh i I imagine or and and I I've I've heard other people express it as. Um I think that's kind of continued on um in the sense that I I don't feel like I watch too many movies in any given year. It tends to be because I was triggered by a recommendation from a close friend, often yourself <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, I um saw a particular promotion material for a film and something about it captivated me i feel like i engage a very much the same way that i engage with like live shows theater that sort of thing um where it's it it tends to be like a rarer events for me and, and a bit more of an intentional event so I, find, I I rarely find myself like watching movies to relax or anything like that is really something that I sort of like I feel myself up to to open myself to an experience. Right. Um, yeah. So in a sense, it's a very very empty CV. I also have really poor memory of like <laughs> plot and things like that despite the fact that I have so little like viewing content, you'd think I would remember things a little bit better. I tend to take away like feelings and a like a general um, emotion that I take away from it. And oftentimes I wouldn't be able to recite you kind of like what happened word for word or, or, or scene for scene, but more kind of how it made me feel. So I would say those are kind of some themes that outline my relationship and general approach.
1: Yeah. Well, that makes good sense. It's, it is interesting to see like the different ways that people view like different forms of media um and kind of what they get out of it like for instance some people i know who love playing video games is what they do to unwind while like my wife is like very much like adamant to that like that isn't relaxing for her it feels too productive too like intensive and kind of like goal oriented to be a form of like relaxation and then you'll have like my mom who's very like certain that like the only good books in the world are sad books about women being oppressed in other countries um but at the same time, she like won't watch anything, any movie that isn't just like a straight up slapstick comedy. Right. It's like it's just everyone has kind of like this is what this is the place that this piece of media fills. Yeah. And so I appreciate that as kind of movies being an event, being something that is like of note. And when you go to see one, it's like it kind of gets cataloged away as kind of like and it's like an interesting experience. It's like uh, more so than a uh more like i don't really know what it is that it is for me if it it is some sort of like butterfly collection of like interesting aspects of all these different species of movies that i've collected over the years or if it is something more of just like a kind of like photo album of different interesting experiences that i've had along the way um but yeah it's like movies themselves can be many things to many different people. So I think that's a pretty decent CV as, as it stands.
2: And I think part of that CV um is really kind of through. And I don't see I don't even think I would think about it as a CV. It's almost just kind of looking at my own like induction of it that like when you um like I don't think I have much on the CV, but I remember the kind of various forms of induction that I've had into it. And of course, you know, those sort of like uh field trip um communal experiences that I've had as a child in school, and then I feel like the next biggest significant uh event in that is actually having you and your wife uh whom I've had the privilege of knowing for you know more than ten years now uh introduce me to a lot of the canons and the classics um that are, you know, in this cultural sphere. Mm. And so, so yeah, so that's maybe something that I wanted to mention as well, that, like, that is a significant influence in getting me exposed to, like, the world that exists out there. But, and, and I think during those years when we had um, the opportunity to live in closer quarters, like, those would be the years that I've probably watched the most movies, like, to date um yeah and then you would know exactly how many i watched because you were always <laughs> there right like so you will probably actually have a more objective account of that than i do yeah.
1: well i do i do remember um because we as like in our is like our house that we lived in back in undergrad as a as, like as a group we did have like a list of a bunch of movies that we were trying to work our way through and i remember lauren showing you the movie Babel by uh is like alejandro is a like, uh, gonzalez and your and I remember that it was not, it was, it was a, definitely an emotional response. So it's like something along the lines of, it's like, of really not liking it. And I think that that's kind of an interesting aspect as well as, like, when you're showing people movies, trying to, like, fit, kind of figure out, like, oh, I think they made, like, this one. It's like, no, no, that one didn't go well. Okay. Reassessing. What is, wh- what are, what are the things that we can show that will go well? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny that you say that as not going well because in a sense, I think what had happened is just that it was such an immersive emotional experience yeah. that I was very much, um, like I mentioned earlier, like very much that is how I relate to films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think I just had residual emotions uh, synchronized with the movie <laughs> that lasted past its runtime. Yep. And so... You know, to an else, like to to the outside eye, that was just like a very unpleasant outburst. But at the, but I think you know, when I look back upon that memory, I actually kind of classify it as a really important movie, and and I I would even characterize that experience as liking it. I feel like that's a theme in general in my life. A lot of things that I struggle through, um, are kind of ends up being the most meaningful, most memorable, and then I in retrospect, that kind of actually classify that experience as positive. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I also know, as I I feel that because I, there's definitely a lot of films that uh, they've stuck out for me in terms of all the things that I've seen because it's something that I had to take weeks to process or like kind of figure I spent more time with it than it's runtime, as you said. Um, and I think it's funny that today we'll be end up talking about uh, the movie Midsommar because um, that is a, is like a uh, a horror movie, in, in and ma- and it's a many type of things, but it is indeed a horror movie, and um, it's like uh, my wife is definitively not something that that is not something she enjoys because it lasts with her way too long after the runtime, and as she describes it, makes her life a living hell as she has to sit there and contend with being scared for an extended period of time, which is something she doesn't enjoy. I always talk about horror movies as kind of being akin to roller coasters, like being able to experience a lot of these like terrible emotions through kind of like a facsimile of it's like of a, like a horror movie while you're safe on your couch. And then afterwards being able to like, Oh, well, that was an adrenaline rush and like walk away um, for her. It'd be like people who go on a roller coaster and then have inner ear problems for the next like two days. And like, and like feel sick and dizzy and can't like get back on their feet again. Um what would you say your kind of response is to the horror genre in general um have you seen a lot of horror movies or is like or is uh is does Midsommar stand tall as one of the uh it's like one of the the examples of the of the genre for you
2: well, to summarize, sort of my history with horror, I would say that's also very much another void of a CV uh, prior to all of this, in the sense that uh, I'm I'm actually uh, married to someone who's very very much into the genre, and it's something that's very important to him, and uh, and. He often describes me as that person that says, you know, the only horror movie I've watched is The Shining, <laughs> which <When> he <laughs> thinks is a stereotype of a person, which, you know, maybe some reviewers in the audience will relate to what that is. Um so I I I I fully identify as that person for sure. Um I often I think I share some of the same concerns that your wife does, in the sense that I um I think I'm easily anxious and i feel like the the duration of the exp- the duration that of the movie i often if it is horror anticipated to be extremely tame, tense and anxious and it's not really something i necessarily look forward to and mm. might as a result essentially avoid um and so as a result i really haven't explored very much um and then like on that note um like you know uh i feel like being um guided by my partner more recently i'm trying to be able to sort of relate to the experience and the relationship that he has with the genre and um and in a sense we've Exposed, uh, like well, I guess we've exposed ourselves, but you know, <laughs> um, like he's been trying to expose me to some of the new, um, the newer like generation of horror movies that's been coming out over the last several years,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and uh, so there's maybe a couple that uh, like I have seen recently, mostly by director Jordan Peele, that I've really liked, mm-hmm. um, just because. You know, I find that if there is a message in addition to the tension that I could relate to and experiences that I could relate to, I could kind of p- p- focus my attention on that and see the anxiety generating components as something that like feeds into the top like into the topic element that I'm actually interested in, so it's kind of like sneaking you know, maybe some classical horror elements into my existing preferences and sensibilities. (laughs) Um, So that's been changed. That's kind of been a work in progress. And actually, Midsommar is very much part of that process. Um, But yeah, but I certainly don't identify as someone who have a history with it or, you know, um, like have much understanding of it to begin with.
1: Yeah, well, it is interesting when you can kind of Trojan horse a genre into somebody's like a field of interest based off of things that they've seen is like in other aspects and definitely like a lot of what they call they being like kind of like a movie critics who are intent on trying to create a like a different classification of the horror movies they like versus the ones they don't when they call movies like Midsommar like heightened horror. And they're effectively saying like, oh, this is good stuff. As opposed to most horror, which is bad stuff, which I think is kind of a very limited way to look at it. Um, but definitely, there's no—I don't think there can be denying that the the kind of like recent crop of movies by Ari Aster, by Jordan Peele, have really like kind of taken the horror as societal, as like um, I like guess societal allegory sort of thing, and kind of like ran with it a lot more than it's like a, a lot of the the modern era has done. Um, and so I'm looking. I'm excited to get into it and see exactly what it is that uh, you like so so much about Midsommar. Is like, um, and what it is that uh, we can, we as two like uh, horror newbies can get out of this uh, interesting piece. Um, so you ready to get into the episode proper?
2: Yeah, I think so. <sighs>
1: All right. So for those of you who are reviewing our episode for the first time, our analysis usually follows the traditional sections specified in a scientific publication. We start with the introduction, a very good place to start, moving on to materials and methods before hitting our joint results and discussion section and then finishing up with conclusions. So, the introduction is a portion of any scientific publication that places your data into context. It provides a brief history of what's been done before so you can see where you're going in the future. In this case, we'll be looking at like a Midsommar and placing it into context with a little brief history of both its objective and subjective histories in the world about us. Um, we here at the Arts News Science Podcast are also a spoilerific podcast. We care not for the the woes and needs of those who have not seen the piece of media that we are interested in. Um, and we usually prove that by having a plot synopsis right off the bat. Um, this was a week we're going to do our plot synopsis, but this uh, plot synopsis comes not only with its usual spoiler warning, but also a content warning for those who is a perhaps have a unfortunate history with things such as self-harm so if you is like if uh either the spoilers or the content warning are of issue to you perhaps this isn't the episode for you otherwise the plot goeth thusly hey are you looking for a romantic getaway with your gaslighting twat of a boyfriend perhaps you have recently experienced intense personal trauma derived from a murder suicide that consumed your entire support network save for the aforementioned asshat of a male companion Or maybe you're just a sociopathic grad student that is ravenously looking to observe slash consume a foreign culture as pay dirt for your own academic interests. Whatever your major malfunction, there's an idyllic landscape that has the quick fix for all problems. So come on over and join the Harga in Helsinginland, Sweden. Don't believe us regarding the healing power of commune-based living? Well then, just ask this ridiculously satisfied customer from the Midsummer Festival. Here's Danny, a young woman who came here as part of a loving-ish couple in the process of working out some rather intense relationship issues. Having traveled here with their super nice, not at all manipulative friend to escape the modern world and witness a -a once-in-a-lifetime Swedish festival, Danny, her boyfriend, and his grad school buddies ended up being treated to more than they could have ever imagined. They got to observe amazing cultural activities such as dancing, pie-making, ritual suicides, and the appearance of a rare blood eagle. They were treated to a wide variety of exotic food, drink, and hallucinogens, and they got to integrate into the culture with more gusto than could ever have been expected. By the end of their stay, Danny has found camaraderie and empathy in this loving commune, the likes of which she was deeply missing at home. She even got to be May Queen. Sadly, Christian and his friends are not available to comment on their experiences, but trust us when they say they had a hell of a time. So come on down to Sweden, where the woods are vast, the culture rich, and the communal living is to die for. So that's the plot of Midsommar as I see it.
2: That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's
1: like it is, a, it is an interesting film, to say the least. It's like, um, it was released in July of 2019 uh, and did pretty well with critics. That scored around 83% on uh, the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes with an N of 395 critics um, and 72% on Metacritic with an N of 54, which indicates generally favorable reviews. And according to Box Office Mojo, Midsummer actually made $48 million worldwide off of a budget of just $9 million. So it falls squarely into that category of horror movies where they were made for the cheap, made a ridiculous amount of money, and then all the studios were very, very happy. Um, but that's the objective history of this film. Uh, we're here is like are a little bit more interested in being subjective as a tense, which is, you know, doesn't jive well for science, but I think is important for the film criticism aspect of the world. So what what is your personal subjective history with this film? When did you first see uh, and What was that experience like for you?
2: Um, so my introduction to the film was actually very similar to maybe what I've alluded to before. It tends to be, you know, because I saw a piece of promotional media just that just captivated me out of nowhere. Uh, And I think in this case, uh, it was actually a poster, um, uh, the promotional poster uh, with Danny wearing uh, the flower crown and then uh, with the grimace shedding a tear. And, uh, and I was just captivated by that image of, like, that contrast, like, vibrant colors and, like, just raw emotion with, like, kind of this, 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 this beautiful natural flower imagery. I just thought that image was so captivating. And, uh, and it's the kind of, like, almost intensity of emotion that you don't always see on a poster as much um and i actually didn't know what it was about altogether looking at that and but i think that image made an impression um and maybe even just like month later like coming upon um like another poster of it i think this time the uh the poster uh with like the um like sort of The ritual right before the Atastupa with like the hands on the stone uh, dragging down with the blood tracks. And I think that was my first cue that it was actually a horror movie. (laughs) And and so I and I had this moment where I was like, oh, uh, if this is a horror movie, this would might actually be a really good um, thing to share with my partner to watch together. Because you know, I actually seem interested in this movie just sort of intuitively for some reason. And I can't I can't I couldn't actually explain that very much, but it, it became one of those horror movies that like quote unquote I was willing to try sort of with him. Right. And um so yeah, so that's kind of what uh, we had planned to do after a few and I think it would by this time it was probably well into like uh the time that the director's cut was released so end 2019 um and so so we were trying to get into one of these showings uh but i think just between our work and scheduling conflicts we were never able to make it so eventually when the uh direct when we uh heard of that that there was going to be a dvd really soon we went to our local video store um it was uh and here's like shout out to the lobby on white avenue in edmonton uh, <laughs> who is one of the last sort of bastions uh holding the tradition of uh video rental stores alive particular genre film <laughs> uh video rental stores alive and uh and he's um and, and um and the uh, the amazing owner there, Kevin, had ordered a recent co- had ordered one of the newer copies of it, and uh, so th- so we rented that copy, and uh, and proceeded to watch it uh, as we always do uh, with um, my partner's like ten year old refurbished laptop that still had a DVD drive, um, like s- sitting on our bed. Uh, we typically don't have a big sort of like film watching setup at home and that that tends to be how we consume most media and it was no different for this one so
3: yeah
1: <laughs> nice yeah for for me it was something similar I know exactly the poster you're talking about um it's like and what, what it was it for me I think it was definitely like the, the vibrant uh, the vibrant colors but it was also just like Florence Pugh has this look on her face that like if you like block out the eyes it almost looks like a smile and if you block out the mouth, like it looks like full on tragedy and it's like somewhere in the middle, like just a, like one of those emotions that you can tell like someone is going through and it's very confusing and there's no other response but to like cry and you don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing or what. And I think it like sums up the movie very well. So I was definitely saw that poster. and was interested. But for me, like most of these things. My interest came from like less of a a visceral place of kind of interest and more of one of like, oh, Ari Aster. I know that director. He's the guy that did Hereditary. I love the movie Hereditary. Maybe I'll go see Midsommar when it comes out. Um, because if you have for those of you out there who haven't seen Hereditary, uh, it did come out and made a quite a big splash. It was like it was a horror movie without jump scares. And I always wondered what a horror movie without jump scares would be like. And effectively, it's two hours of tension with nothing to cut it. Um so if you're interested in doing that to your body, then I recommend it. Um so then we ended up going to see Midsommar as a crew of like-minded individuals, all of whom really enjoyed Hereditary. Uh, The Screening Room is the Independent Theatre in Kingston, um, where I saw a lot of such movies back in the day. Uh, Shout out Screening Room. And uh, we were very excited for this kind of weird movie we had heard a lot about, but then didn't really know exactly what it was going to be. And uh, there was a lot of scares, a lot of chills, and uh, a lot of laughter. Strangely enough, Um, it's a surprisingly funny movie at times, especially when we watched it with the audience. We did, and there was a lot of like nervous or awkward laughter throughout certain portions. Um, And I think that that kind of actually fits with the movie really well. Is like this idea of like being like like having like really heightened emotion and not knowing what to do with it, so you just kind of laugh, or you cry, or you scream, or you do whatever the different things are that people do. Um so it was definitely a strange experience it was like the first time watching it um and I really liked the movie when I saw it and so then I wandered off was like with the intention of someday seeing the director's cut and uh and still haven't to this very day but maybe sometimes maybe someday But even so, it's like it's one of those things that kind of left a lasting impression as we went through. So when you suggested it, just like to do it for this is like this uh, episode, I kind of jumped at the opportunity because I'm like, yes, I have some demons to excise here and I need to figure out what's going on there.
2: (laughs) I totally felt the same way. It was one of those. um, It was definitely one that lasted like days, you know, past uh, maybe even weeks uh, past the runtime for me. And uh, yeah, so the. The emotional, the initial connection was certainly visceral, like you mentioned, because I think I'm just always, I always welcome the opportunity of something that explores raw emotion in a world that we live in, where those things are not often um, tapped into readily. So, yeah, it it seemed like the poster had that promise, and I think it fully, fully, fully delivered.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the, it's a poster and a movie that relies almost 90 percent on Florence Pugh's face being able to do very intense gymnastics and it it they uh they both work very well yeah um so maybe if we're going to start talking about is like uh Midsommar in more specifics we should move on to the materials and methods um so in a scientific paper the materials and methods is generally the least favorite portion to listen or read to um because it's a comprehensive guide on the equipment and methodology used to collect the data. In this case, it'll be one as a such a thing for us when we watch the movie. In theory, we should provide enough information to give is like, uh, basically others a chance to reproduce the results of a viewing experience. Um, and people can get super pedantic with materials and methods as we go through as like, but the important thing is being able to relate how we watch this so people can understand where we're coming from. And maybe if they would like to reproduce this, this experience for themselves, like go about doing so. Um, so for your most recent rewatch, uh, which I believe I'm not mistaken, occurred last night, um, as did mine.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, was like, what was the materials and methods? What was the process as it went through?
2: Um, so in a, in many ways, um the rewatching process uh was a bit of a uh readaptation of the initial viewing process <laughs> in the sense that uh um you know our ritual continues to as, as we call it continues to be watching movies on the same laptop in bed. <laughs> it's just that that bed has now shifted to some some um uh, random basement in toronto under the stairs um and uh so yeah so uh same laptop uh that we mentioned before uh and uh instead of um the lobby in edmonton the this local video rental shop has now switched to iceworth cinema uh around like Bloor and Dover Court in, um in Toronto, uh, which is a, a, a lovely space um, that, uh, that we have grown to love over the, uh, the past uh, nine months or so that we've lived in Toronto. Um, and yeah, so, you know, the 2010 MacBook, uh, my partner has self-refurbished this so many times at this point. He tells me uh, that I should mention that it has a very low refresh rate I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. <laughs> but <laughs> I think so. uh, but he says that you don't I don't notice. He says that he tells me that it's probably something I don't notice. And I actually do agree with that. Before he mentioned that, I did not know that <laughs> was an issue. <laughs> uh, but I suppose it's something that he's working on. Um, and um and yeah, it's uh, it's pretty much the only machine we have that plays DVDs in this house. Um, So that was the obvious choice. Uh, The audio was very quiet on the old laptop as well. So we plugged in an external speaker to help with the sound. And all of this is just like lots of wires in bed, you know. (laughs) And uh, so all of this, um, like basically uh, this copy was the director's cut, uh, but there weren't any subtitles. Uh, and I'm one of those people who often rely on, on subtitles to, like, fully comprehend some of the words. I think it's a combination between some of my residual English as a second language uh, <laughs> uh, tendencies, as well as just, like, maybe poor hearing. I don't know. But uh, but all of this, um, like so 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 in a, so at times it was like a little bit difficult to hear some of the words like I required a, a little bit of rewind to clarify some of the the sort of more subtle sounds as well um spinal support was not the best thing watching movies in bed that's been a consistent experience as ours but certainly an aspect of this one as well um so certainly you know uh that's not an a part that I recommend, however, for this movie, like I really do recommend the process of watching it um either by yourself or with a person or people that um that's uh who's who's close to your heart um and uh in that sort of like private conducive to Uh, emotionality (laughs) context Uh, I think it certainly helps uh, you know it helped me reflect on um, the aspects of this movie in a more sort of like guttural way and I felt like I was able to express more of that in a place that felt as comfortable and sort of private as like a bed concept (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, similarly, like so, as like I was as, like did not watch this in bed, but I did watch it on our as, like uh, our rituals like um viewing site, which is on this leather couch that sits in our living room. It's like across from an LG TV. So, once again, as like um as, like uh you probably aren't aware of the ongoing feud that ha- that is uh is like raging havoc across the Arts Union Science podcast of the LG TV versus Toshiba TV viewers. Um, but you've managed to fall—is they fall like wonderfully into that uh, that nice neutral ground of the laptop viewers who just have to watch <laughs> on in, in stunned horror as the battle carries on outside their windows. <laughs> um, so I was watching it on our LG TV on Amazon Prime um, the day before the Amazon uh, like uh, was it boycott is has like starting, so that's starting today I think for a week. People have put forward a boycott of Amazon for Amazon Prime, as well as like Amazon. The service is like because of their attempts to break up unions for uh, it's like their employees. Um, so I got that viewing in right under the wire, and now Amazon Prime shall not be touched for a week. Um, but I did before I started. Was like watching it. I had to hover over it for a solid four minutes, trying to decide what kind of nutritional media and alcoholic supplement would go well with this movie um because for those who don't know there is a lot of uh gore and violence that takes place throughout the course of this movie some of which is pretty visceral and so i was trying to figure out what would be the what what what's the thing that i can eat and drink without it causing too big of an issue and i realized that i i couldn't so i just like poured myself a is a glass of bourbon on the rocks and then made mac and cheese is like um throughout the first 50 minutes, took a break and paused it just before things started getting gross to eat it. Um, and then it's like restarted it. It's like uh, ensuring that all food had been removed from sites before viewing the second half of the film. Uh, and I would recommend that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it is definitely not a movie that, that pairs well with uh, most anything, especially not um, things such as spaghetti sauce. I would not recommend it um it does is like pair well as uh, kathleen said with having a loved one close by that can is like uh be there for you as emotional support especially during some of the more like uh, iffy relationship scenes where it's like you're watching people just pass each other in the night it's like um and like screaming at them kind of like come on <laughs> it's like reach out be empathetic uh so my partner was there is like she was not watching it's like she does not like horror movies it's like but she did have her headphones on and it's like and i would do the occasional thing of just reaching over and tapping her on knee and saying don't watch the tv for a little bit right now <laughs> in case she would it's like but sometimes she looks like gazes out as like um when she's not thinking about it was like think trying to desperately not think about the work she's doing and she might catch a glimpse of what's happening on the tv and there's certain moments it was like probably not a good call um So, But it was nice to have her there as emotional support, as it were. So I would recommend that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, It's kind of a movie you got to open yourself up to emotionally. So (laughs) it's always nice to have those sort of like during and after care options <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well
1: and admittedly like it was a big part of like the the pausing at the beginning for like the the stalling for like to try to figure out food and stuff like that is that when i went down to actually watch it i don't i can't say that i was like looking forward to the process because i do remember it being a very like visceral film the first time around and i was it's like and i wasn't necessarily like on a saturday like evening in like the mindset for like a He's like uh let's let's trundle on back on down this midsummer lane and see what's going on, but I was pretty much like immediately once I started watching it, I was like right back in, like sucked in immediately by the filmmaking, and I think that that'll be a good just like uh time to transition into the meat and potatoes of our episode, which would be the results and discussion section so is like in most papers, results and discussion end up being two separate sections. The results section is where you present your newly acquired data and the frameworks you're going to use to analyze them. And then the discussion section is where you take that data and connect it outside into the world of research to other things that have been seen before, and then make kind of inferences about how what you've seen, uh, shown has like grand is like an application outside of just this small little paper. Um here it's like uh, recently actually we like uh, stumbled upon the idea of doing a joint results and discussion section which is pot is a common practice in certain papers uh and in doing so you basically present your results as you go through and then if you have some portion some discussion point that you're like that you'd like to bring up that's like uh is related to something outside of the movie you just say this is a discussion point and we discuss it right there it like prevents everything from being as uh, cluttered and kind of having to do the double back of here's my results oh and the discussion but we'll talk about that later is like everything can then just uh, free flow as a kind of conversation I um, like free
2: flow I'm a big reporter
1: <laughs> a big reporter yeah. a big proponent uh, of the free flow <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: mostly due to you know to that that's what my capacity seems to be limited to but uh you know <laughs> let's let's call it a preference if we can tell the such
1: well then that's good is it good news uh, for you then that we have just the homebrewed analysis model to help you keep your free flow is like form of a, a film discussion this is actually the first time we'll be using this particular homebrewed analysis model. It's called the Reciprocal Rorschach model. Uh, it was inspired by the famous and controversial ink blots developed by Swiss psychiatrist Hermann Rorschach. This model relies on the human ability to see infinitely diverse, meaningful patterns from the same picture. And as previous studies published at Arts Union Science Journal have demonstrated, this phenomenon is replicable with pictures in motion as well. Using the simple prompt, what do you think this movie is? The results and discussions follow a stream of consciousness format shaped by the author's intuitive real-time reactions in the conversation. The authors will share their free associations, mutually examine their subjective realities, and emerge having learned more about the self, the motion picture, and, hopefully, each other. So, in keeping with this, our new Zega homebrewed analysis model, what do you think this movie is? I think...
2: One of the things that I felt after the first watch was just an intense relaxation and catharsis. Um, And I felt that it was a really... uh, uh, My partner and I watched it together and we just discussed it at length for hours, maybe for as long as the runtime of the movie, because it was just such a great opportunity to capture those emotions that it brought up while it was fresh. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so it's really that intensity of emotion um, that really hit me because it kind of, um, the movie ends on such a climax that is kind of up to you to do the denouement part. Yeah. <laughs> and um and yeah, so I think that's that that was my first impression of the movie. And I think the second time around, knowing that's what's gonna happen, um there was still some elements of that happening. <laughs> Despite the fact that now, you know, it now that it's expected, it it, it continued to to bring up other emotions that um like the past, uh, like that. That in the interim, based on my experiences in the interim, and I almost had, like, we almost had updated kind of discussion points in that sense. Um, so yeah, both both times, uh, it certainly stayed for a while after. Um, I expect that this time around, it will stay for a few uh, days to weeks as well. Um, to and and I think it's just. Uh, promoting a lot of sort of like self-examination uh the way i relate to different characters uh both you know from within and without the harga community um as well as uh you know like how i relate to the world around me so i think at the end of the day like the summary is that it just felt incredibly personal (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, and uh and and it's almost interesting how the second time around it can be, uh, it remains the same type of personal, but just with more updated personal information. (laughs) So yeah, I think I was really impressed by its ability to do that. Um, And um, I thought it was beautifully made. Uh, There are images in it uh, that are like, that I almost want to have as paintings. Even yeah. though they might not be particularly nice paintings to have around your house all the time, <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, so those are sort of like you know just running my mouth with some of my like immediate conclusions uh, or observations, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I like it's like the, the kind of like a wording that you use to describe the, like the different aspects. This idea of like emotions and images and those like being the things that kind of like transcend the uh the little portion of time that we watch the movie with and they like stick around because I think that's definitely what happened to me the first time and so the second time going in I have this kind of memory of like what the the emotional lexicon of this film is in terms of what are the different emotional beats that I'm expected to hit as well as what are some kind of like searing images that I that have I've retained in the two years since I last saw this movie and um i'm interested to hear is like from you kind of like what the uh, what those are like in terms of what the emotions are and what the uh the images are because i have my list of both as well and i think that I've added to both of them with the second viewing. There are some emotions that definitely, since I was aware that they were going to be there this time when I wasn't the first time, I didn't focus on them as much. And I kind of like gravitate towards other aspects. While now like the same images that were searing before are still searing now, but now I've like slotted in other ones that have just kind of like carried in so i feel like eventually if i keep watching this movie it's so so well made and so well crafted that by the time i've watched it like four or five times the entirety the entirety of the movie from scene one to scene whatever is going to be like seared in there as just a series of images that um i'm never going to be able to get rid of
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so i think i could maybe one of the images that um, that really stuck with me in the first and that really stuck with me the first time around um, I would say is the moment where um, where Danny was a, sort of this having found out of Christian's infidelity um, was sort of carried by, you know, her group of sisters into, uh, the, into the sleeping quarters. And they were uh, surrounding her, comforting her, but basically with very limited amount of words and mostly expressed via sounds. Um, and then there's, there was this moment of, like, this rhythmic expression of, like, grief. Like it almost it feels looks like someone is like throwing up emotions,
1: yep. <laughs> together,
2: <laughs> and um and I like and I think one of the biggest moments, like one of the biggest things that that kept on coming back to me regarding that was just that like you know wouldn't it be nice if we all had that, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um and I think that hit. Very similarly, the first time as it did the second time around, and I knew to kind of anticipate it. And I found I, I almost found a. I think the first time around, it was almost more, um, of a. Like I, I had that I had that feeling of like, wouldn't it be nice if? Yep. And then I think the second time, I actually did just find myself crying during that part. With, so so in a way, it's almost like in the second part, in the second time around, I was actually willing, like I was actually in a mode because I was prepared for it because I've been induced, quote unquote, into this culture before I was actually ready and willing to participate in it.
3: Yeah, I can <laughs> In see like that. a
2: real way. Yeah. Um, and I think that theme um, happened a lot throughout some of the other moments, for example. Um, I think the first time watching the... At a stupa, it was obviously, you know, shocking, gory, all of those sorts of things. And and the unknown tension leading like with the rituals leading up to that moment. Yeah. Um, I remember it mostly being tension and uh and not and and, and and venturing into the unknown and having sort of a shocking reveal. And whereas the second time around, again, maybe almost feeling like I've been induced, quote unquote, into this cult once before. My feeling was actually, I was able to be there for the songs, for the rituals, for the moment of, you know, like, uh, for the moments where they take the glass and look at each other and, and you know, and, and like everybody moving in unison. I really kind of appreciating like the peace, serenity, acceptance of the moment, yeah. such that even the moment... When a hammer went into somebody's face three times uh, three times, <laughs> but particularly that first image where you yeah. really see it, I was like, yeah like i I actually like there was a there was a sense of peace that I had on the second watch, even though that was the image I was being shown,
1: yeah, yeah, no i uh, uh- <laughs> I completely agree with you that it's it's those type of scenes are really fascinating because you have a mixture of characters." Like some of which know what's going to happen, and some of which who don't, uh, and so it means that the first time you watch the movie, you are directly in line with the people who don't know what's going to happen. You are experiencing Absolutely. it with them <laughs> yeah. as it happens, and so you, my response the first time was very much similar to Danny's and to Simon's, it's like who are like going like, "What the heck? Like, what are you doing?" It's like, but the second time through, you're right because we have this whole long series beforehand, and the camera movements are so serene throughout. It's like there is this like they are beautiful, smooth sliding that follow the people as they stand, that sit with them as they sit, like everything seems serene and idyllic and beautifully coordinated within this community. And it gives you this time to kind of sit there and look at these two and try to figure out what they're thinking. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they excited? Knowing what you know now, you can approach it with a lot more of kind of like an interesting level of serenity and introspection as opposed to just the sheer like shock and surprise of the original time through. And it leads to a very different experience where I actually like the first time when the woman is coming over and trying to explain to them, there is like the cultures and the whether they're surprised. My response was similar to Simon's like, no, 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 you, you back up. That's not like, this is like, this is weird. It's like, and then the second time through, I'm just kind of listening to it. I'm like, yeah, you know, it is like, everybody has a different opinion of how they handle like is like um, kind of old age and I don't think I necessarily agree with this mentality, but I'm way less like uh, openly hostile to it this time around than I was the first time when I saw it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think that even just like some of the sound choices that were there at the moment, the first time, uh, like the silence mm. when, um, you know, in the moment of the jump yeah. felt like, like, even though there was no sound, it felt like shock and despair. <laughs> yep. But the second time, it really did feel like a moment of, like, unity and medication of some sort. <laughs> and yeah. just, you know, watching something free fall. And, um, and, and like, you know, and it's just the fact that they're wearing blue and the fact that, like, it almost like the first time none of those things I actually paid attention to. Yep. Because... I was just being like, "What's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next?" Like again, vibrating, you know, in bed, being like, "Was and uh, and I remember, like, just knowing it was a horror movie. I think I remember." just like chanting to my partner it's like okay like like murders are gonna happen murders are gonna happen murders are gonna happen like <laughs> just like kind of using like verbal tics to like get out of my anxiety and uh, and then like and then the second time around it was just such a completely different experience and i think yeah i was just yeah that was something and i was able to you know meditate listen to the chants that they're doing listen to the 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 words they were saying, you know, via the subtitles, and you know, just kind of reflecting on that moment and identifying with the characters themselves of how it would be like to, you know, accept the nat- sort of what is seen to you as the natural end of your life, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and as I said, uh, as you were mentioning, like I I don't remember her name, but essentially Harga Professor McGonagall. Yeah, you know her. (laughs) Like I don't know what what her name is. I'm sure she does have a name. Um. um with 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 her lovely like red headband um was uh was yeah was just actually i I can see that she was actually expressing what she's saying in such a nurturing way which is not really something i noticed the first time around as well
1: well it's like (laughs) in, in keeping with what you're saying it's like um a big thing that was different for me this time was danny's journey throughout like the the latter half of the film because the first time there's so much dread built up of like what are they gonna do to her? Because really, my my thesis statement for what I want out of this movie is I just want good things for Danny. Yes, <laughs> I want, absolutely. I want it. <laughs> and who wouldn't? Yeah. I like I want her to be happy. I want her to find some sort of like community and empathy. I don't care about Jack Rayner's character. I don't care about yeah. Mark. I was like, we're going to talk about Mark. Oh, <laughs> I mean, <no>. um, <laughs> it's like, but it's like, all I really want is for Danny to be happy. And so, like, the first time through when all of this stuff is happening, I just saw like danger around every corner. I'm like, don't go with them, Danny. Don't get in that cart, Danny. And, like, I'm so terrified for her. Yeah. I'm knowing that she's going to be all right. Viewing the process, is like this time through this kind of like lens of like these people, like, to, to be clear. I still believe morally reprehensible the kind of aspect of it, but the idea that they do provide her something that she cannot find in this like in like our, like kind of like more like quote unquote modern society, that something that her quote unquote boyfriend can't provide. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling of like community of what it's described in the movie is the feeling of being held. And, um, and it's so, seeing her kind of like slowly fall into those arms throughout the course of the second half, and like give up—is like her, um, her kind of reservations, is like, um, was this time a lot more of kind of a nice experience as opposed to the first time, where every moment she would be like entering a house and something like that I'm like, they're gonna kill her now.
2: Oh yeah, now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> murders are coming. Murders
0: are murders coming. Murders are coming. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> like... <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's um. Uh... And I think you really do have a better sense of like why this culture is built the way it is. It it kind of it kind of comes in in that moment that she was introduced to, like upon second watch in that first moment where she walks through the uh, the gate and and was welcomed by one of the elders. And then they say, welcome home. It just hits so much harder on the side, like where I think the first time I didn't even pay attention to it, actually. But the second time you're like, yeah. <laughs> in a way you are because we know what's going to happen yeah. and uh yes yeah, so, so so that moment just also like hit stronger for me for that reason
1: <laughs> for sure um and i think like all of that works all the stuff once we get to sweden and like the idyllic landscape and the beautiful sunshine so like that works because like of the opening of the film is such a stark contrast and it is like very much like the winter versus summer aspect um, which is like I didn't remember that the very first shot of this movie is that tapestry of like the four seasons where you have winter on the left all the way over is like uh, a cross, um, and uh, and then like immediately from that we hard cut into like the most like
0: dreadful depressing... winter.
1: <laughs> I know the most <laughs> dreadful winter I've ever seen in my life, and we live in Canada, and yeah. it's just kind of like no, that just sounds that looks all matter terrible. And with all this like Swedish music playing, this like s- like chanting in the background, and then another super hard cut into is like from that into like an urban landscape or like suburban landscape where it's still winter, but the music has been replaced by like a telephone ringing, yeah. and it's just like all of these things are like dis disorienting, but they're also like producing like a tone and a feel and an atmosphere of just like dark, dank, unhappy. Um, And then that only obviously intensifies as what I would, I will refer to as the incident is revealed to us. And, um, and just like from that opening, it's like, there's like your, you feel that moment of like, it can only get better from here, right? Like we can only, (laughs) surely we can only get better from here.
2: (laughs) And I think, yeah, it, 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 and I think it does set you like, it set ourselves up to, you know, be more likely to accept the harga as a feeling force too like in a sense we are on that journey with her (laughs) because (laughs) we do have that dread (laughs) from those imagery and um Mm. and it, it it is yeah it's just such a i don't even know like how it can be done that well and i think actually this is this is almost like a a perfect counterpoint to like the Attest of a Woman that we were talking about earlier, where you can you can somehow pan to like two people sleeping peacefully or uh, seemingly initially sleeping peacefully in yeah. a bed, but somehow induce so much dread into yeah. that situation. And I don't even know how that is possibly done. <laughs> like, um, like it's like you know something about like I think on second watch I noticed just like this like just vibrant, vibrant yellow that was like somehow in that like sort of mostly blue-toned room. Yeah. Something about that just feels jarring and then it's like, you know, the, the phone ringing and going one, two, three, like zooming into the house. Like just something about it unsettles you and then you're like, yeah, but I'm just watching two people, like two old people sleep. Like not even that old really, but like, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> and like, and it's like, what's happening? Why do I feel not okay about this? And then And then you kind of, you know, and I felt like I had those emotions the first time, and I just didn't know why, yeah, and of course, now this time, knowing exactly what's at the end of that sequence, um it's just like even more heightened, and I think it brings you to again notice the different colors, so in a sense, I was doing the same with that scene that I did with the Attestufa scene, and I was reflecting on that afterwards and thinking that in a sense, that is like a couple like a like a like a man figure and a woman figure like uh you know kind of dying in what our culture deems to be almost like peaceful imagery but in like a such a metaphysically violent way
1: (laughs) yeah
2: and whereas the other whereas the other stuff is the opposite it's such a what, what we deem to be such a violent imagery But you know, such a peaceful passing, like, and it's almost like it it crosses right over into each other.
1: Well, yeah, and they keep on making reference to those two as you go through in Sweden. Like her parents, like images of her parents, is like uh, either dying or alive, are like constantly like flashing in similar, like uh, overlapping with these things. Like, and it is interesting to see like she is going through like a journey throughout the process of this of like like kind of reconciling or trying to move past is like this. And so you can see those kind of those mirror images, those reflections throughout of like, yes, like in our supposed civilized society, like this is what we kind of hope for, right? Like you get you get old and you die peacefully in your sleep. Yeah. But like, it's such a different feeling. Yeah. And it's like, and a lot of that is because of probably the idea of consent. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, uh, and
2: consent is an interesting concept almost in that sense, right? Because yep. in a way it's like, in 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 the harga culture um like from our angle, it almost looks like they have no choice but to die at you know seventy two yeah but if you're inducted into that world like there is total consent so yeah. so within the un like within the universe itself, it has so much consent, and that's kind of what makes it peaceful to begin with <laughs> and uh whereas you know in a and like in a sense or at least those are the things that i found myself projecting onto those two figures like in the second watch is that yeah. is that there is that inherent sort of like culturally immersive consent uh yeah. whereas this one like you know we are in this culture and we know there was no consent in this situation no. so yeah
1: yeah well there's there's an interesting aspect to this about like what i would call like horror movie morality like um and it's a it's a weird thing that you'll get a lot in like the slasher genre, where it's a, I think this could be a good discussion point here about this kind of idea of like in the slasher movie is like um genre, there is like this weird like expectation of like external is like a morality, but it's like it's not like real world morality. Like you see a person die sometimes in a slasher film, and people will go, "Good, they deserved it," but they wouldn't actually think that in the real world. It's like um, and it's similar to this in *Midsommar*. There was like. I, I gotta say, like, it's like there are characters in here who like are just terrible <laughs> and I hate them. And when they die, I don't feel bad. Is like and there's like but like afterwards looking back at like in the real world, would I say that person deserved to die? No. no. Would I say that this culture is like while we're we've been talking about the idea of consensual is like um like it's like death in terms of like the ritual suicides or whatnot, but then also these newcomers they bring in who give no consents but then are is like very readily and horribly disposed of all of that is like in the real world morality bad but in this movie where is like morality is like it is almost coded as like acceptable it is coded as deserved like these people kind of deserve to this fate in one way or another and i always find that like a weird place to find oneself when you're kind of like drawing differences in your morality based on the fact that you know it's a fiction and you know that there is some sort of like like unseen occult hand aka ariaster behind the wheel like trying to like determine who should and shouldn't die based off of this strange like a microcosm of morality
2: right and i think that in a sense is is another sign that we're kind of being we're, we're, we're on because because there is an angle of this that's looking at like you know uh um, Danny's journey as being kind of "quote unquote" indoctrinated into this cult, yep. <laughs> and that's basically what we're doing. Um, we're <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you know, Mark was kind of an asshole. <laughs> like he did pee on the tree. Like I guess he kind of deserves it, <laughs> <that>, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and uh, and you know, like you know, um, Josh did you know do the thing that he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> you know, like so, so you do kind of find yourself being like, you know, that was that was violent, but all right, like <laughs> in in the, you you like you you do find yourself thinking like the Harga in that way too, not just in kind of facing the rituals, but also in facing the other aspects of their, you know, larger ritual in that sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, so I think this is a good time to talk about Mark. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> so the character, like, so the character of Mark is played by this actor who I've seen in a few things in the past. He was in the movie Detroit, um, which is about like the Detroit riots that took like place back in like the seventies or is it maybe even eighties? He's um, like, uh, and is like he plays like a an, an, uh, ter- a completely terrible police officer, actually, alongside Jack Rayner, who is also a terrible police officer in that. <laughs> um, but it's just like is a mark as his face is so punchable (laughs) and everything he says only makes it more of a thing that you really want to do and there is a what i loved about the first time watching this movie is that immediately you're supposed to hate mark like the movie sets him up as the person you're supposed to hate i'm like cool i'm down for that i can hate this guy he has a punchable face but then like the movie it's funny that like the camera almost hates him too half of his dialogue during the sweden scene is said off screen because he'll start in frame and the camera will deliberately move to cut him out of frame so he's speaking out it's almost like the director hates him too (laughs) and it's so great so many of his best lines are said off camera because he's like we've just slowly laterally slid our way over here so we can't see him anymore yeah it's just i i I'm, i'm Totally down for like for a uh omniscient being such as the director dunking on this character that we all
2: hate. Yeah. It's like oh I can't look at him anymore. He's yeah. <laughs> just gonna say some stupid shit, <laughs> like yeah. And uh am I allowed to say shit on this? <laughs> oh yes, okay. yes. It's
1: like yeah, we're we're it's like we have no uh no censoring okay. here.
2: <laughs> but yeah. And and I just yeah, and, and I think he's just in a way. You know he is such an archetype in the Hargo world, too, like he does have like that full like you know archetype to play even in their story, yeah, so in a sense, like he's just such a he's 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 one of those characters that is built so simply <laughs> that he yeah. is an archetype actually in both worlds, <laughs> so
1: yeah <laughs> well, he effectively becomes a straw man by the end, it's yeah. like and so it's um yeah. It is interesting to to see him in that is like in that light, and just he does produce some of the funniest scenes. Just him trying to get everyone to lie down when he's having a bad trip with the mushrooms <laughs> is great.
2: But I think in a way, like I, I think that's I was actually reflecting on how Mark is kind of our culture's version of truly being in tune with your emotions.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you
2: know it's like you know the heart again they're a group they're in tune with their emotions but as a collective yeah and that's that's almost like a social responsibility that you have in a way at least the kind of in the way that it's presented that you know you're part of this this culture and, and all the elements that the society needs like you know each individual is supposed to kind of respond to your kind of this this uniformed being Um, whereas Mark is kind of like that, but in our individualist world, (laughs) he's just someone that, you know, and I think, I think that emotional axis is independent to the quality of his opinions, (laughs) (laughs) the quality of his opinions, you know, as we said, he's already an archetype and a straw man, you know, in more ways than one. So like. So that that's his own topic, but I feel like he's kind of our culture's version of 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 what that looks like of someone yep. who's whole, fully in tune with exactly how he feels at any moment and is able to share that externally yep. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, independent of how that might affect other people around him but but in a way, like you know doing yeah like it's it's I just find that in itself kind of an interesting aspect of of mark uh in kind of making me reflect on that <laughs> like, yeah yeah like and it makes me think that you know if 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 danny was happened when that when when you know her horrible trauma happened to her and she happened to be in a relationship with the mark flavored boyfriend as opposed to a christian flavored boyfriend yeah like I felt like she would have had her catharsis like in our world, right? Because yeah. Mark would have just been like, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he would have said exactly that he's told Christian that he should say. He would have just said it. And Danny would have been so alone. But it would have been like a push time to shove situation where, you know, she really had to face all of it. Probably yeah. in that moment and and it actually kind of made me think about how, in a sense, like that that might not have ended well for Danny. And, and you know, one could argue if if the ending that we have ended well for Danny or not <laughs> right yeah. Yeah, right so that but but, in a sense, if she was dating Mark, she would have been in a situation where it could have ended well or not, kind of depending on how the next steps go, right? <laughs> like yeah, at least
1: it would have ended like that's yeah, the exactly. the terrible thing about the exactly. the relationship with Christian is that, like even both times i watch it i do have a little sympathy for christian at the beginning in the way that he is like about to break up with a person and then this terrible tragedy happens and then like he's effectively like 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 hamstrung by his very pitiful attempt at morality into sticking around um but he doesn't do so in a way that's actually useful like mm-hmm. he's he's there but he's terrible and there's and he's not just terrible to danny although he is very terrible to danny but he's also terrible to his friends and the movie has this great way of like um basically it's it it doesn't focus on is like on um christian per se it focuses on the reactions he's getting from the individuals as he's doing kind of shitty things and so from the very first time we meet him we don't meet him in person he's over the phone and we don't do a back and forth of like showing the two of them in their respective settings yet. Instead, we focus on Florence Pugh's face and her reactions to what he's saying and his reactions to his kind of like lack of interest, his obvious like exasperation with her needing emotional support, all that sort of stuff. We see it on her face before we ever see him. And then there's several times where he's having a conversation with someone and this camera stays focused on the person he's talking to. And then he is either. We're only looking at the back of his head, such as when he's talking to Josh about how he's effectively going to steal his thesis, or we only see him in a reflection on a mirror, like when he's talking to Danny about about like going to Sweden and he responds with that terrible I'm sorry, which is like uh, about oof. not telling her. It's like, Or when he's talking to his group of friends about how he invited Danny to Sweden and she's not coming, but she's accepted, but she's not coming and everyone's just kind of staring at him. And we just get these long shots of people reacting to him yeah. as we can't really see him because really we're not we don't care about him we care about the impact he's having on the people around him and his kind of selfish nature
3: mm-hmm.
1: um and so like this time going in knowing what happens to him and like is like you kind of see all these things happen i'm like the film is definitely trying to like kind of push you in the way of like this person's terrible like yeah. we, <laughs> we, don't, we don't like him and we i'm don't... like. You're right. I don't like. it.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it. It. I think in a sense, like I think that's that's actually what made. I feel like it's because of through him that I I started to reflect on who Marcus in a way, like yeah. because you're like at the end of the day, like if you're only trying to like like you're almost like it. it like you like you mentioned so aptly, like it's motivated by selfishness in the sense yep. that he he's only wanting to do this because he doesn't want to look a certain way to other people. And like, or, or he, he's much more mindful of how he looks to other people, which is why, you know, how the reactions are always penned on, on, on on the people that he affects, because in in a sense, that's what his preoccupation is too. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave now because I'm going to look like an asshole. And, and, but you know i fully am not invested and is fully incapable and definitely also not that interested to follow through with this but i'm gonna put myself there such that you know if someone were to look at this from a mile high they can be like well i didn't leave yep right and 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 you kind of all his behavior is consistent with that motivation, you know, even even with his friends and all those sort of things. While well, I did all this, like, you know, it's not my fault. <laughs> like, it's yeah. always at the end of the day, that's always the motivation. Whereas you're like, you know, and, and then you look at like a honest, you know, a, abrasive person like mark you're like you know what like some that's better at least at least it's like you know at least you, at least he's honest and like yeah at least like, he's selfish in a way that it's not just like fully focused on himself like sometimes he kind of shoots himself in the foot you know he's just authentic in a way at the very <laughs> least you know like and, and you're like wow that's almost more refreshing than or even the way he kind of um Or thinking about the way that, like, Christian treats Josh as well. It's, like, this passive-aggressive, like, I'm stealing your thesis, but, like, I don't want to seem like the person who's stealing your thesis. Uh, And, like, you know, I want the, I sort of just, like, want to have my cake and eat it too emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know what, like, you may as well just, like... (laughs) (laughs) at least that's kind of how it makes me feel where it's like it almost endears me to mark even more on second watch where i'm like at least you're like exactly who you are
1: (laughs) you know there is something to be said about that 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 mark is definitely sincere in his 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 lookout is like um (laughs) <laughs> it's it's not like I don't like what he's what he's selling but exactly, he's definitely yeah. he's definitely yeah. selling what he says he's selling <laughs> yeah. as opposed to Christian who he has that like so many moments in this movie where you can tell he's like trying to save face like even yeah. just like throwing Josh right under the bus like yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not friends with him I don't it's like and you can see Danny looking at him like
0: what who are you like, yeah I know yeah. right
1: <laughs> I know. yeah yeah of the like of the like kind of the out outsiders or like the new blood as they're referred to like it's interesting because i feel like most of the the main cast out of is like aside from danny is like there is like kind of movie moral logic about why what happens to them happens like mark is terrible (laughs) is like uh, christian also terrible josh is like even though he is like a kind of is like he is not as terrible as the other two as a person he still has this kind of like strange level of academic rigor that's like he's ravenous to consume this culture for his right. own personal gains uh be damned like he doesn't really care about what they think is sacred what they think is valid he's just interested in being able to write about it and you can see that where he like doesn't respect their their uh boundaries their limitations Um, And so you can see there being kind of like a moral reasoning for his demise the only people that were not really given moral like movie moral reasons are (laughs) simon and connie yeah uh who just seem like nice people
2: (laughs) (laughs) and and yeah and then they're like you know like i'm sure there could be lore about who they are and maybe but but you know from our angle and what we know about them it's just like okay i guess these are just some like extra lambs for the sacrifice and you're like "Ah, (laughs) i guess i'm just gonna have to like work through that somehow but like
3: yeah. the
1: only moment where they're given like any sort of like reasoning for why they might have been chosen is like that one scene where the guy who brought them there yeah. is like <laughs> lets it slip that in his eyes he was dating Connie yeah. and then they, is, like, and then is, like, Connie started dating Simon like there yeah. might be some sort of like a personal vendetta yeah. behind this that was bringing this out and uh, and,
2: and I, I felt like I definitely paid more attention to that I felt like if the first time around like I only vaguely remembered it like I just remember they had like a weird awkward voice moment but then um but then like I feel like contextually I didn't fully remember that clearly after the first reflection because I you know after all the things I definitely reflect I was like oh who are why are those two people brought in yeah, but on the second watch I I that's another scene that I paid attention to just like the little subtle awkward interaction yeah. of like who was dating who at what time and now they're engaged like Ooh. you know and, uh, and like that whole that whole setup uh, is is sort of interesting in that sense
1: <laughs> well but it's like because that scene also serves like a dual purpose and the dual purpose being to like juxtapose Connie and Simon against Danny and Christian who mm-hmm. like Connie and Simon are walking together like arm in arm being very like cute they're getting engaged all these sort of things Danny and Christian could not be walking further apart yeah. it's like a, <laughs> it's like and still be in the same frame yeah and it's like they don't know how long they don't agree on how long they've been together there's obvious tension between them so when I first saw it the first time that's what I focused on is like Oh God, those two are a lovely couple, and these two are just garbage. But now <laughs> this time around, already knowing that very clearly, yeah, I did focus more on the kind of like this is a strange interaction that's going on here. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> like, and um, and it's also interesting because because the like, the guy that brought them is also one of the ones that like you know that 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 saw I guess saw his role in this as like a very essential to this this round of the ninety years you know like ninety year festival. Um like 'cause he was also one of the sort of volunteer sacrifices as well. Like I just thought right. that was kind of interesting as well. It's like, oh, you know, like this is like a really big moment for him. And and so he's he's like it's also sort of his role and his induction and his choices, right? Like that yep. that he's using in a sense. Um including his own emotional trappings with this couple potentially that like that's part of the narrative almost like if you like to 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 embody the 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 harga sort of my like side of my brain as well like (laughs) you know like that that's kind of what makes it more meaningful like for the gods in a way right like you know it's me and this little triangle that i built like during my pilgrimage and like yeah and
1: yeah yeah it is interesting to try and think because we don't get much from the is like the as much as we're like kind of like projecting onto the harga in terms of yeah. their intentions like they are see they are shown by the movie to be very much be like of an other mm-hmm. like an unknowable other that we can't really see past the veil to see how much is sincere yeah. how much is pageantry that's true uh, and um it's it's like the first time through i definitely fell more on the kind of idea that like, these people are manipulative it's like and this is like all pageantry and the second time through i kind of thought it was like These people, I think, do believe what they're saying Um, is like, uh, and they do have some like kind of interesting ways of living that I think we could take advantage. We could take uh, note of the whole sewing people into bears and burning them alive thing. Maybe not. Maybe we'll leave that out. (laughs) But, you know, it's like there's there are other things.
2: Yeah. But yeah, and and I like yeah, and I think they're they're act like the the hardest they're acting towards each other. It's also so nurturing and authentic too. And I felt like yep. that's one of the things that I didn't pay attention to the first time. Like even as even the bear scene as you were mentioning, like you know, like there's that little like mentoring thing of like the older man to like the younger ones that's like you know probably gonna do it the next you know like well I guess they might not survive that long because it's 90 years but you know what I mean like you know that they're gonna have to pass Pass on that knowledge of how to sew a random outside guy into a bear you know and you're like that's kind (laughs) of lovely but like not really lovely like that's kind of
0: there's one of no. one of
1: my favorite shots in the whole movie is after that weird scene with Simon and Connie and all them and they kind of like the two groups split up to go their separate ways and the camera follows Simon and Connie for a second and they as they're just like tracking past Simon just says are we just not going to mention the bear and like it just as he says that it's revealed there's just a bear sitting in a cage and Wolf just responds it's a bear
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I've answered that question yeah that's that's it but then
1: after that is like the the scene like the the shot carries on and that's when they go and see the tapestry of the kind of like love potion And it like tracks across the entire tapestry. Like we lose Simon and Connie. We're no longer focused on them. And as we come out the other end on the tapestry, we see our group, like our main group, wandering off into the woods. And it's it's, like one of that kind of like, it's a really cool moment where you can kind of bring everything together in this one track. It's gives so much information. There's a random bear there. (laughs) They're not interested in exploring why there's a random bear. There's a story of what they call a love story, which is actually a story about someone getting effectively roofied. It's like Uh, with magic. It's like, and then at the end of that is like roofie magic story. We come out the other end and what are we focusing on? But our lead characters where this is going to all come back to kind of take them down is like effectively.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, it's just like shots like that are they're prevalent throughout the entirety of this movie they're like long tracking shots long takes that reveal so much um and can only really be pulled off by someone who i imagine is uh, to put this mildly anal as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: what a lovely man! <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, a, oh, that's my thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you but uh, but but yeah, and I, I do think it's like it's almost like the tapestry continues. Like the tapestry itself, it's and like the movie opens with that sort of like sequential tapestry as well. So it's like it's almost asking you to just continue tracking the various little figures which and, and kind of see them as the little figures they are yeah um with, that's all part of this you know much greater narrative that's been you know drawn on a tapestry a long time ago you know like yeah. and that so so i think it kind of depersonalizes them in that way and also helps us again it's part of the induction of of us into the cult as well like and um and, and i actually even that interaction with the bear like there's an element of, like, you know, the question is, why is there a bear? But the answer is kind of, like, in a sense, it is one of those, like, cult induction kind of answers, where it's, like, the answer is not what you're asking the answer i'm going to substitute it with a simpler question which is what is that a bear <laughs> you yes. know and uh and and i think like it and it's one of those answers that makes it seem like it's answered but it's not actually and it it's so so in a sense that's also you know them being induced into that uh into normalizing you know all of these things as well
1: yeah uh, well i think definitely this this movie has um a very strong connection to one that I know that you haven't seen, which is uh, uh, the original wicker man, um, which is like a good discussion point in times of the idea of like the connection to this thing. Um, but really like the main connection is like the idea that it takes place during the daytime. It takes place during sunlight. Um, and that's, and that it's about like a, a kind of like pagan-esque cult ritual um, and some person from the, the quote unquote modern world stumbling upon it and being used as sacrifice. Um, but there are a lot of big differences. Um, and I think the big difference is in terms of like um, kind of where the movie puts your sympathies um. and also what the movie is juxtaposing. I would say that Midsommar is kind of juxtaposing um, a kind of more communal, uh, like sharing, like living for the community based like living strategy against our more like modern individualist take on like kind of personal grief and how everyone grieves alone Uh, while the wicker man is very much a religious thing it is christianity via zaga versus uh paganism right um and because of that (laughs) outsiders exactly and because of that the pagans are are like very much crafted as kind of like demonic and evil and the uh and the one christian dude is like the is our the person that we feel bad for the entirety of the time Wow! Well, in this case, it almost comes out the other end. That word, yeah. <laughs> the man who is literally named Christian, Christian. is burned, and it's we're all kind worst. of like, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, just like kind of like soft applause, like yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, good, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love at the end, you know, like you when she's just like buried in her sort of like. In, in her full bloom, midsummer flower form, you know, it's kind of yeah. her evolution in in her pile, and then they just look at each other, and you're like, yeah, then nothing anymore needs to be said. Like that's gonna happen. Like there's no need for you know her to point at anyone or whatever. Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, I know, I know, that's fair. Like for them, let's do it. Like yeah, you know, I know like, why
1: you're smiling. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I know, like it's fine.
1: <laughs> just it's the same reason I'm smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: or 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 even or like the moment of decision where it was like mm. the the random the oh. Mary oh, versus is like she's just in her pile of flowers looking at him with that face, and um, and he, you know, by the effect of the drugs, but in such a good metaphor of, of how callous he's been this whole time. Yep, <laughs> like yep. I'm, sure, I'm sure if he could express emotions at that moment, he would actually have some emotion, but he can't, and he looks. You know, on the outside, exactly the same as how he has been metaphysically
0: <laughs> this yeah, whole time.
2: And then you're just like, yep, <laughs> time to go, you know, like, everybody's on board.
1: Like you can see, like a screenwriting choice where the choice would have been him or Pele, like someone she knows, someone who's been kind to her or something like that. And then, like at that point, you'd be like, "Oh, well, obviously, you'd pick Pele because he's been so much nicer to you." And so, but I love it's like it's it's literally her boyfriend and this random yeah. dude yep. we've never seen. Yep. And it's like, and even from them, like. He's like, man, you messed up. Like, yeah, if you yeah. if you manage to go into a life or death situation where your girlfriend has to pick between you and some middle aged like potato of a man over here, yeah, and and she picks him, like you've uh, yeah. you done, done goofs, good sir. Yeah.
2: I know, uh, like, yeah, I know, Oh, pelle. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, it's funny because like this movie came out in 2019, um, which was the same year that the Marvel movie uh, Captain Marvel came out and both of them feature heavily like the kind of thematic uh a thematic take on the like on gaslighting as a uh as a thing in in captain marvel um it was brie larson's main character and then the main antagonist was jude law and he just spends the entirety of the movie saying about how like you know you, he's like your powers are like you don't you can't control your powers you have to control your powers you have to control your powers and it's recognized like as the movie progresses that like he's not hasn't been helping her to control them but to suppress them and there's this part at the end where he's like is basically obviously outgunned because captain marvel is ridiculously op um but he has <laughs> this moment where he basically is trying to say like you know he's trying to do the usual like male action mono mono moment where he's like you oh, so tough with your powers why don't you like fight me without them and we'll see who's better and she just like blasts yeah. him was it with it? And her response is i don't need to prove myself to you yeah. and it is a beautiful moment of kind of like throwing off this like gas lit net that he's cast over her for such an extended period of time and so that movie came out in february i saw it liked it and then when this movie came out is like um i had now at this point done a lot more like kind of is like look into this term gaslighting, because admittedly, it's like I'm sad to say I didn't actually know the term before I-, I had seen Captain Marvel and then seen discussion about it. Right. Um. And so then when this movie starts up and there's that scene between, is like which we kind of mentioned briefly, where Danny is like has just found out that is like apparently her boyfriend's going to Sweden in two weeks and he didn't tell her. Oh yeah. And she comes and she's trying to have a conversation about it, and um. She starts off obviously on the moral high ground and she's like trying to approach this very diplomatically and he's providing snarky comments. And so when she does like lash out a little bit, as she should, because he's being an asshole, he uses his presence as like blackmail and says like, no, I'm just going to leave. And then before the end, like she's apologizing to him. And I remember watching this scene going like this scene is so well crafted because I can you can see what's happening. Yeah you can feel it but at the same time it's not so obvious that you can you can't understand why she's falling into the trap it's like it's it's just such a beautiful it's like and terrible microcosm of what these people's relationship is and you come out the other end being like this guy's a gaslighting jerk and I hate him.
2: And and there is that comparison to be made, right? It's like, yeah, if we're going to call the Harga a cult and that's a codependent relationship that she's gotten into with this cult, well, before she was in a one-man cult... Yeah. Of right, like she was yeah. in a in a modern, individual, you know, modern like capitalist like individual cult uh, with with this man who was just like willing to give her whatever narrative. So he comes off as always the good guy, and yep. she's just like, "Yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, I I need him, and I need this to be like happening, and this is my life, and you know, like like that's that's just the, and then like all of her actions." Only makes sense in the context that she's accepted that narrative and that lore at the end of the day, yeah. And uh, so yeah, so it's like gaslighting is just like your 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 mini cult. <laughs> like, and so some <laughs> sometimes these abusive contexts are a bit like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's weird because like gaslighting is like it's a mini cult, but at the same time it's like a widespread mini cult. Yeah. It's like a it's a, a series of clusters of mini cults that are all kind of is like um, together in this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah because uh, the cult itself is not monolithic but no. yeah like yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah. no i was just it was interesting that this like both captain marvel and this movie came out in the same year and we're kind of dealing with the same is like attribute because we were like i think at that point we were far enough out from the me too movement that we were starting to have filmmakers kind of responding to it mm-hmm. um Which is a, and still, but responding to it in kind of this way, like in genre fair, which is like a usual thing that you'll get where like the first wave of things is usually like people responding like way too ham-fistedly of like, this is like a movie specifically about this. The next wave is like people integrating it into like more genre related things and kind of like providing like real world texturing. Um, And then it's really the third wave of dealing with it where you get like the more kind of gritty, realistic perspective like um there's a movie called the assistant that came out uh in 2020 and it was about a uh like a oh she would be kind of like an assistant for a big producer of movies and it was about like that kind of feeling of being helpless while you know what's happening yeah um and being like gaslit by all of your male employees who are kind of saying like no this is just the way it is you're 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 behaving irrationally you're not doing this right it's like and it's uh it's strange to put Midsommar in the kind of like trend line of like media dealing with this topic, but it is very much there. Um, and I think actually handles it like remarkably well, considering that it's coming from a male director screenwriter.
2: Yeah, and and I think he, I think it's all like, and I think it just almost straddles that like kind of stage two and stage three you've outlined in a way, because I feel like the 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 dialogue is written in a way and we relate so much to Danny <laughs> that yep. you can almost argue chunks of the movie. Um, like, I think including a scene that was in the extended, uh, like, in the director's cut, that, like, that that's just, like, another interaction between Danny and Christian. Like, they actually like those scenes are arguably like already kind of like proto stage three based on that line that you had where it's like, (laughs) yeah, no, you're with her. Like you're not with him, right? Like you are for sure in that moment. Uh, It's less of a, and you do get those moments where you do feel like the oppressiveness of like when she's in the room with his friends and how she's just like no no like I'll take this medication it's fine like I just (laughs) like I just don't want to be trouble oh my god you know like like that kind of emotion that's like jumping off the screen like and um and uh and yeah and then just like having like Pele there to contrast it weirdly and like at first you look at Pele you're like having because you're so you're almost so used to, to these callous friends and like kind yeah. of like listening to how they talk about her and like all those sorts of things and you're and like you are almost kind of like used to that that's like it's horrible but that's just how she's treated yeah and then, to, and then to have this guy that like looks her in the eyes with those like puppy dog eyes and like and you're like wow like it in the world in the modern like supposedly our world it almost feels weird Yep. And, and and I think, and then that weirdness is used to kind of like introduce that suspense of like, well, you know, maybe he does really care about her, but maybe he is also just like, you know, looking for the next like sacrifices, slash, you know, new May blood, like new May queen blood or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. is he doing that or like, what is he doing? But like, at the end of the day, like that weirdness that we feel initially it's it's also built on the fact that you know this is just such a hostile environment to her all the time <laughs> like
1: yeah well it's it's one of those things like you're trading out between two like un it's like that was the first time I came away with it from this movie. It was very much like is like my like kind of like mental thesis. it was like the dangers the dangers of being a gaslighting asshole that you might drive your girlfriend into the waiting arms of a it's like of a cult um is like but I think that is like definitely this time it's like it is a lot more gray in terms of like how like the moral is like how moral the cult is and how like decent because you're right like pele as a a face for it is like he is he seems so nice i just want to believe that he's a nice person i don't know if he is or not but i do feel like his interest in danny is like uh, and her grief especially is sincere yeah uh and you you get that in kind of like there's an interesting way like the way that he handles talking to her about her grief in and outside of the the cult atmosphere like beforehand he tries to bring it up and she has like that kind of like gut punch reaction yeah which i've heard described by many people who have gone through a, a major is a like moment of grief and also in a um a very interesting album uh by the uh like one of the lead singers of lincoln park named uh, mike shinoda um he had is like, so Linkin Park's one of my favorite, it's like uh band's, uh, the lead is like um singer Chester Bennington committed suicide a few years ago now. um And the other singer, Mike Shinoda then came out with an album like a year later as I like, called um aftermath. I think it was called or no post trauma. It was called. And it was, um, effectively just about his different experiences and there's the one song that's kind of talking about being at this kid's birthday and seeing someone who he hasn't seen since the incident and having them bring it up and just being that kind of like jarring twist of like just like feeling normal feeling for the first time like you're not thinking about that and then having someone bring it up and it just being like kind of very disorienting and like is like um and uh and really like whiplash of emotional whiplash and they convey that so well in this movie where he brings that up to her and you can see the look on her face of like she was starting to feel comfortable, she was having a good time, she was feeling normal again and then immediately she's back in it Um, And she has to get up and excuse herself and take her to the bathroom. And then there's this great over the head shot where it's like, it's actually like from above as she goes into the bathroom. And as she slams the door, it transitions into the airplane bathroom where she's having another panic attack, showing that this grief is carrying on. It's a great way to transition time. It's practical, but it also showcases how this is like an ongoing problem that's not going away. And um but it was so different to see him handle it there where he was kinda like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I brought it up sort of thing, versus in the cult is an area where he's now more at home and more at peace and is yeah. will it like doesn't back down and yeah. like kind of pushes her on it. Yeah. Um and it's uh so I want to believe that he is decent and sincere. I just don't know. <laughs>
2: yeah. And and I think I think there is a way left, like I do kind of find myself projecting on the two on the two, you know, um, I guess like midsomar guys that are like helping to bring the sacrifices too, like yeah and and their motivations and yeah and and I, I I just feel like I do sincerely believe in both of their motivations, particularly yep. you know and, and I think making the one that brought i i I also forget his name to be honest, but like uh the one that uh, brought in um Kanye Simon be part of the 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 ritual as well yeah um like i think that almost kind of like helps me believe it a little bit more like (laughs) in a way where it's like ah it's like you know they just like really see themselves as like part of this big narrative it's like um and um and and, you know this is like you know he might have like personal emotions for danny but that's like important and only important insofar as it's also tied to this bigger thing right yeah and uh and like and in a way like that's almost like you're like oh that's like that's actually like the kind of love you want where you can tie yeah. it into like a bigger thing right like so he, anyway it's uh it's it's um but then you know some like but then you know it is a bigger thing where you also just like you know ritualistically murder people without consent yeah. <laughs> so, you, know, <laughs> you know like you know, but it is like kind of beautiful like you know and yeah, so you're just constantly torn in that like in like the sort of like the um and I feel like the imagery totally supports this of like 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 the beauty and the disgust is in, in exactly the same elements yeah yeah it's like she you know she's like buried in these flowers about eating all these like weird looking carcasses and raw fish and like you know and all of those sorts of things but she's like but everybody reacts to her as if she's like a new baby trying her first food and it's so nurturing (laughs) and it's so lovely but it's like you know and like and you're like ah but like i don't know it's i don't know especially since like i'm a person who like loves food and like those sorts of things i just feel like the the weird carcasses on the table like just really gets to me yeah. I was like, oh my god, it must taste disgusting. Like I just have like a guttural reaction to two or two images and and I think that's intentional. He puts like flies around it and everything.
0: And... Well yeah.
1: And they're also like they're pulsating with the uh the, like at that point oh, yeah. um they're under like the influence of hallucinogens, which is always interesting to see kind of how a movie tries to put you in that subjective lens of like, oh, these people are obviously tripping balls. Yeah. And uh is like and i guess one of the ways it does it in this one is that you'll have things like yeah the carcasses are pulsating there's a flower on her head throughout the scene that is constantly opening and closing yeah Um, like almost like it's breathing is like um yeah.
2: her chair is like trying to like move with her hands <laughs> like yeah yeah, her- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it's uh it's it's interesting when you see that sort of thing happen and you're um you recognize that like this movie is very intent on like being subjective it is like the the camera movements are meant to put you into the the frame of mind of the people to the point that they actually have near the end when christian can't open or close his eyes up on his own they actually have it so like the camera blacks out with him one eyelid at a time as someone closes his eyes oh yeah um, (laughs) which is just like such a very like it's like it's it's the equivalent of like an action movies when blood splatters on the camera. It is like this moment of like pure like oh yeah you're in it too. You're here now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and It's a strange
1: it's a strange thing for the movie that's been against Christian for so much of it to put us so like squarely in his perspective yeah. for like the final sequences.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's supposed to kind of remember make you remember. It's like, oh yeah, but like, did he deserve this? <laughs> you know, but really,
1: like, he he a person. Though.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but then you know, but then like, then you switch out to Danny. You're like, yeah, but it's inevitable. You almost get that kind of like Greek tragedy thing. You're like, exactly, you know, like you know, it is meant to be. Like, let him burn. You know, he,
1: exactly. You, know, you can't you can't full on yeah. cheer, but at the same time, yeah, you're you like do kind have of a person. Smile. But I
2: guess that's fine. <laughs> like, you know. Like,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> feel like a person yeah. but like in the most cursory sense of the word. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Uh yeah, well, there is is like um what is it? There's there's something that's kind of funny about this movie and um uh, and I literally mean funny in the way that there is like a strange amount of kind of like comedic elements that that play is like in it. Um especially with christian's like storyline in the last half versus um versus danny's like as danny's going and having these kind of like like interesting experiences that are tied to tradition or whatnot meanwhile it's like uh christian is like setting himself up to like be like a i don't know like a disposable sperm donor for this is like this um community and there's some scenes that I remember my audience laughing so hard at, and this time around, I couldn't help but laugh either. There's a great jump cut immediately after when like there she he uh Christian is in this like room talking to as we put it like as a harga uh, McGonagall. And she's saying about how this redheaded is a like, girl is really into him, and what well, he just says, "I think I ate one of her pubic hairs." And then the response, I was like, as we look at his face, I'm like that's probably correct. And then like a jump cut to him leaving the building, and I just thought that was so freaking funny the first <laughs> yeah. time I watched it. <laughs> just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his only response to this is, "It's like this whole thing is I think I ate one of her pubic hairs," and the only response to that is, "Yeah, that's probably right." Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, it it's almost kind of like a similar moment as um uh, as like the bear scene as you were mentioning. Like, I feel like yeah. some of the tension and some of the elements are are in the same way, kind of.
3: Yeah,
1: Whereas yeah, it's, it's like, like that non-cult answer, as you put it, like yeah. the kind of like, yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it's a- like yeah, that's yeah, that's that's what's happening. <laughs> and, uh, carry on, like you know, <laughs> okay. And yeah, and, and it's the same mechanism of like you know an outsider asking an insider about something that's very much like you know part of the lore, essentially. and yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah well, that's like from that scene, we then like transition into like probably what must be like the most awkward sex scene in the history of the world. This like communal sex scene where it's like recognized that like not only do th- does this community share things like and emote things like grief in like unison, but also like pure as like like ecstasy and lust. And it's like I remember my audience laughing so hard at Jack Rayner's face when the lady starts singing right beside him <laughs> while he's, or when the old lady goes around and starts pushing him from behind and just it's like yeah. that look tripped out look of like being like on a bad trip but at the same time being too deep to like to back yeah. out no pun intended one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was as i just can't help but think of it like all of that is meant to be like pretty funny yeah. but at the same time be kind of disturbing especially for us like as like in a modern sense society who's like that kind of idea of like public displays of that level of intimacy and like kind of making it a more communal thing just seems so wrong
2: yeah and 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 I think that's it, right? It's like there's a, I think there is a part where it's like it's directly contrasted to that scene that like I just feel like for me it's still just the, like the central thing every single time I I think of this movie it's like the common like wailing scene,
3: mm, like yes,
2: I mean it is it's kind of the same thing, right? Like in in a way it's like all the women that were like you know that were like I guess getting the sperm or not or whatever, like they're just kind of in it together. Yeah, and like Christian is just like this whatever <laughs> situation. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like it, like he's he's not very like he's only like I guess like physically essential <laughs> in this situation, but like in otherwise metaphysically completely not present. Yep. And like it's all like all, all the whole thing. It's just kind of about that moment of expression that, like, a, 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 at least for me, like I was like, you know, like it. Like, I could, I found myself trying to embody, like, the, like, just being one of, like, the chain women there or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like, I you know, just, like, trying to, like, again, like, I found out a lot of this movie has been just, like, you know, flipping your brain back from, like, this format that we're we're generally into like horga format <laughs>
3: yep <you're up. laughs> and i'm like
2: i'm like you know like it's like okay like you're like dancing with your sister it's going like oh like maybe this is like you can like maybe you can feel a connection to it if you like you know focused on your sisters and that kind of thing you know what i mean like yes. like maybe you can and uh, and that's a a lot farther of an experience than anything i've ever gotten whereas i do think that like you know I have good friends in front of which I can express a lot of like emotion so I feel like I'm I'm maybe like one is closer to my actual you know rooted in this life experience than the other but I right. feel like but then I'm able to kind of so so like I guess like you know uh so I guess what I'm trying to say is like Danny processing her grief with all her sisters that is an experience that's not exactly close to my real life experience but at least i can find a link to certain aspects of my real life experience and then i can find the link from you know the the common whaling experience to like the common like ecstasy
1: experience yeah
2: so in a way there is like an indirect connection that you can make <laughs> like well
1: yeah. and and similar to what we've been talking about this whole time about like trying to gauge the sincerity of that is like um it's like, and I think this is. is like uh, we're probably going to be. It's like coming to the the end of our discussion soon. So I think this is a, a good time. I'm glad that you brought it back to that original scene you had brought up so early on of the idea of like this kind of like rhythmic wailing, yeah. um, like listening to different people talk about it. There are definitely a lot of people who view that to be kind of performative and like, um, very like insincere. This kind of uh, this kind of them trying to like emulate her grief back to her to try and convince her that they, like they understand what she's feeling. Yeah. Um, And I can see that reading. And I think that part of that is, is true in the same way that whenever you try to say like, I know how you feel to somebody, like you don't really, but you're, you're trying. Yeah. And I think that's like, this is kind of a, a more guttural and animalistic almost way of doing that. And I think Florence Pugh, um, who we haven't talked about enough in terms of just being like an amazing actress oh, yeah. in this. She has uh, like her sobs that she has at the beginning when she first discovers that her is like, family has died. And then is like throughout whenever oh, yeah. she has starts having a panic attack, they are something that it just feels so deep. It's coming from somewhere like deeper than like I thought the human like the human vocal cords could go, and it's like it's bringing out something really animalistic and and visceral, yeah. and so it's to hear that, emotion. like it's, it, it, I think emotion. that was a perfect way yeah. to say it, and so to see it like emulated that deeply and that intimately by these people, it's like without fear of looking ridiculous, um, I think must be a very moving experience for someone
2: absolutely and I think I think one of my reasons for being so willing to believe it and you know and that opens up all sorts of questions of like maybe I'm much more susceptible to a cult (laughs) you know like (laughs) like you know it's I think it's because you know I am a externalizer for emotions like I think I do see that in myself um tying back to kind of this idea of like what what are the specific emotions you relate to and I am an externalizer so like you know, I don't. I don't think I can say that I've ever actually had that like that. You know, the same temper of my things being mimicked back to me. But I've, I, I, I'm familiar with the experience of having people, uh, like actually including yourself, right? Like in front of which is that I am willing to express various things not so prettily, right? <laughs> so, like, so I think, like, you know, that's that's just something I'm so much more willing to believe in because I feel like I've had life experiences that support the the healing powers of that and yep. the, the existence of it and this is just a larger much more intense expression of it and you know thinking about various um various like organized churches right that that do have rituals where you kind of do like you know, where you either speak in tongues or, you know, express extreme emotion together, not necessarily with, like, meaningful language. Like, there's a lot of rituals like that out there in various forms of organized or non-organized religion. You can you can argue that certain kind of concerts are like that. Um, like I think I've heard people who describe like concerts from like Little John doing like crunk music to like Travis Scott, which is like one of like the um, sort of one of the probably one of the bigger names in like this generation of hip hop, like that they 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 in their music create such an immersive experience not a lot of words not the kind of like rap that you know has a lots of rhymes or anything like that but it's just like the the music production gets people in a weird trance and then you're just able to let go of a lot of things and as a result like some of their concerts are some of the like the craziest concerts even though they're not even like saying anything
3: yeah. you know yeah
2: and, uh, so so like it just like it makes me think of all these things i have heard of i've never been to a travis scott concert but i i wonder if it's similar and
1: yeah, those those type of experiences are always like really fascinating to me because I've I've never had something like that on that level. Like I you know, in in concerts or even like um sporting events or something like that, you feel kind of like the energy of a crowd and kind of like you matching it or emulating it in a way. Um but I've never had something where I feel like I wasn't in some level of control, like I couldn't back off if I needed to. Um but then, yeah, it's like there's a a book called Go Tell on the Mountain by James Baldwin. Um, it's semi autobiographical, and in the process, it describes this the young boy who's part of a very religious church and doesn't really fully believe. But then, is like um, through one night of prank, goes through one of these kind of like episodes, these like fits of rapture where you like fall on the ground and convulse, and you have like hallucinations and like visions. And it's like, and kind of go through like a spiritual journey. And it's like, it's based off of an actual thing that happened to James Baldwin, who eventually ended up becoming an atheist many years later. Um, But then that is like, I, I remember reading it and kind of going like, oh, that's like an interesting literary premise, but I don't really like believe that that can actually happen to a person. And then reading his personal essays afterwards and hearing like the rendition of it as it actually unfurled and kind of seeing this, it's. I don't like just being able to like put your, it's like to be put in that state through like a communal exercise where you lose control of your body for hours and, um, and envision all of these different things and come out the other end. Like it's just uh, an experience that I've, I've never had. I can't say that I really want to have, um, but I think it's something that would be very power- powerful and a very convincing argument for why where you are and what you're doing is probably the right path.
2: And I think this is actually like kind almost like bringing this back to like the science aspect. Like I think there is a lot of um, um, like kind of resurfaced research or re- um, I guess like rekindled interest uh, regarding the use of hallucinogens in particularly processing trauma. Um, and, um, and, and this is something that, of course, like, you know, in the mid 20th century, as we know, we had like a huge spike of interest in all sorts of like Ivy League professors were interested in it, right? And then sociopolitically, it became a kind of a convenient thing to sort of vilify uh, various uh, like mind- altering drugs, like including hallucinogens, and that's kind of a sociocultural conversation um, that or sorry like sociopolitical conversation that was being kind of used to you know target certain groups and things like that at the time. But the sort of irre- irre- irremediable effect was that these research ended up getting disconnected because you know now they're like, you know the, now they're like you know the worst. Uh, most prohibited substances you can't do any further uh, research on it but there was a lot of promising directions particularly in the use of hallucinogens in processing death anxiety and trauma so essentially like any kind of yeah like 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 and, and having sort of like guided experiences sort of guided using it as controlled guided therapy to yeah. like and um and and it's and it's and, I, and I, one of the issues with it is actually that in a lot of cases it actually has worked so well that people don't actually need long-term medication like this is one of those things you just have to do go in maybe ideally every few months to a year for maintenance mm. but as you can see that's not a very um Profitable. Useful, yeah. <laughs> useful, uh useful way to maintain your revenue resources and then to recover all the initial investment you put in the research. So like I yeah. feel like private industry is definitely gonna not gonna be very interested despite the potential for like that progress. But yeah, like people were very excited and there were a good amount of information to at least support the continuation of this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it,
1: well-
2: it it really that makes me think of like that whole area as well, obviously. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens as like our societies like hopefully are on the on the on the path to like start like loosening our grip on like this kind of like terror we have over the different types of drugs. We've seeing like Canada just legalized marijuana like a few years ago. It's like and hopefully we're moving towards kind of more acceptance of some of these aspects. It is interesting to see movies like this where that are so like openly uh, they openly embrace the they've probably like pretty accurate knowledge that like a lot of young people actively is like are uh, partaking in hallucinogens and kind of like are well aware of its interesting aspects in terms of uh, epiphany, in terms of freak out, in terms of all those sort of things. Um, And it's exciting to see when movies kind of like try to represent that visual space um, through kind of like some interesting means, some interesting visual aspects. And I am excited to see where, like where film goes with that but also as you said where hopefully maybe science can get back to is like understanding the the better aspects of that as we uh as we progress as a society if that is indeed what we're doing (laughs) yeah
2: it's sort of funny how you mentioned that young like you know it's it's something that like maybe is opening to more like youth experimentation and things like that because like one of the other and this is just like something that came to me out of nowhere probably like um a couple of weeks after I watched it last time. It was just like, yeah, like the whole, the whole image of her, you know, dancing with the flower crown, like, you know, on hallucinogens, like, you know, like it makes you think of like Coachella, (laughs) you know, like a little bit. You're like, oh, like, I guess like we're, we're all trying to like, and that's basically, you know, people, you know, pay expensive tickets to like, or, or, or what is like Burning Man even or something like that, right? Like, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to like, engage with like a different foreign culture and, yep. um, you know, in a in a getaway and things like that, I'm like, wow, in a sense, it's like there's also like parallels to be made there that I kind of didn't really think about. <laughs> but yeah. yeah.
1: Well, then Burning Man has an interesting connection to Wicker Man as well, because yeah. the end of Wicker <laughs> Man is yeah. a person being set on fire in a giant Burning Man. So. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so that's like a whole thing, like all together. And now it's like we literally have a sort of like a, 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 a very capitalist version of it now. Like, yep. you know, and... Uh...
1: Okay. Capitalism, if nothing else, is good at appropriating shit for its own yeah. use. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, I think that's a good place to bring our discussion of Midsommar and all the other things that are associated with it to uh, is like our conclusion section. Um, so here at the Arch-Indian Science Podcast, we think that the idea of quantifying movies based on a single scale is inherently ridiculous. How is one supposed to compare something like titanic to tarzan as the that was put forward in the past it's like one a great big action film is like from james cameron the other an interesting phil collins musical video um it's like the is like how you compare them on a single scale you can't really. So instead, what we do here is we take the movie that we're looking at and we like uh, measure it based off of one thing, one particular attribute that it has, and then we provide a positive control, so an example of a movie who's done this thing a hundred with a hundred percent success, and a negative control, something that's done this thing with zero percent success, and then we rate our movie in between the two um, as a percentage. So. For Midsommar, what will you be rating it for, and what is your positive and negative control?
2: Ah, uh, so for me, um, I'm measuring it against. Um, oh, sorry, I'm measuring it for its ability to like make me want to explore the horror genre further as nice. a relative um, novice in the field.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, sweet. So, what's your positive control?
2: Uh, so positive controls, I actually had uh, chosen us. So it's interesting that that actually came up during our discussion. So us yeah. by director Jordan Peele and uh, and and uh, Get Out by association as well. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, and then your negative control.
2: Uh, so for me, it's actually uh, the Evil Dead <laughs> that Jonathan, <laughs> <laughs> my husband, has shown me <laughs> during one Halloween <laughs> and. <laughs>
1: Not a Sam Raimi fan?
2: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's just like, I just felt like I didn't relate to the story at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, like the special effects were interesting. Um, yep. Like, and, and I can appreciate I can appreciate the craft and love that went into it. But I think from a, uh, I, I think I'm one of these people that, as this conversation might've demonstrated, like need that guttural emotional connection to really, you know, feel it. Um, yeah. Or, or feel connected to a piece of work so um yeah so so maybe there was a lot less of that for me
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair and so in between your 100% being us and your 0% being the evil dead where would you rate Midsommar
2: I would actually put it at a solid 100 it's impacted my life and reflections a lot recently and 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 in my initial watching so uh perfect I think it will continue to actually percolate and I look forward to revisiting this movie as I go through different stages in life.
1: Yeah, and I'm really excited for whatever he does next. Uh similar to Jordan Peele, like they they both had just like they they um were both people who kind of came in swinging on the horror genre, created a um a first piece that kind of blew people away and then everyone folded their arms and say, "Oh yeah, well I don't I bet you can't do that again." <laughs> and then they went and they did something that is like in all of all the cases, like very different than their first one, but at the same time, um, is like is showcases all of the same strengths that was still present there. So I'm excited to see where Ari Aster ends up as he uh, continues to move forward and maybe even out of the horror genre to other things. You never know.
2: I think he mentioned that he might want to do that or something, so I, I'm yeah. just curious as to like what direction that might go, and that sounds very exciting,
1: yeah. Um, for me, I decided to measure Midsommar for its ability to make me hate Jack Reynor. So Jack Rayner, otherwise known as Irish Seth Rogen, otherwise known as Christian from this movie. Uh, um, he's, uh, he's an actor, like, don't get me wrong. He's a good actor. I think he does a lot of, it's like good roles. Um, but most of the roles I've seen him in, he's just been the worst. Like the character he's playing is the absolute worst and I hate him. Um, And so I'm measuring Midsommar for its ability to make me hate his character. Uh, And with the positive control for this one, I could have gone for many. I could have gone for that cop in Detroit. I could have gone for the antagonist lawyer and on the basis of sex, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, (laughs) biopic. Um, I could have gone for either of those, which would have made a lot more sense in many ways. But my positive control is actually going to be Transformers Age of Extinction. Um, The worst transformers movie nay maybe the worst movie of all time and why i'm putting it is because not only do i hate him as a character but i also don't think he's doing a good job and i don't think the character has any value or worth in the story and i feel that the entire movie would be better found in a in the dustbin as opposed to on the shelf so it like if for those who aren't familiar, Age of Distinction has this terrific moment where Jack Raynor's character, who is in his 20s, is explaining to Mark Wahlberg why, in his 20s, he's still able to date date Mark Wahlberg's daughter, who is a minor. And it's because they had a pre existing relationship. And there's this what they call the Romeo Romeo and Juliet laws in the states, which allow if you had a pre existing relationship when you were both minors, and then one of you be, like uh, graduates to no longer being a minor, it's not actually a problem. And he has these. Rules, this Romeo and Juliet rules laminated on a card that he gives to Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and I just watched this scene, and it was just like, this is what you're spending time with in your robot explosion movie. We have to spend time to explain why he's allowed to date a minor. You had control over this, Michael Bay. She didn't have to be a minor. He didn't have to be in his twenties. Why would you do this?
2: <laughs> wow, okay, yeah. I've never seen this movie, but that is like
1: Oh, it was like I the find the lamination
2: piece particularly interesting. <laughs> like
1: like the idea that he had this thing laminated so he could roll this out in case yeah, he was like, questioned on yeah, it. it. it's
2: like core oh. for his identity. It's like a driver's license. <laughs> like, Exactly. am I allowed to take your daughter? <laughs> like, you know. Like.
1: Oh, I just, that movie was so bad. And I remember at one point, like we were watching in a group of friends and people kept turning to me and they're like, I, I just don't understand what's happening. You see, I haven't seen the other Transformers movie. I'm like, it's not because you haven't seen the other Transformers movies. It's because nothing that's happening on screen is coherent. The most time we've spent explaining anything Thing in this whole plot, is why this douchebag is allowed to date this minors. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. I wonder what the creative process was that generated that.
1: Like, <laughs> I, I I also I, just I wanna, also like, wonder the
2: conversation on the other end, like not to encourage it, but just to like you know help further dissect and maybe guard against that in the future.
1: It's one of those things I, I want to be a fly on the wall, but, but at yeah. the same time, I would trade being a fly on the wall for being a bomb in a briefcase under the table (laughs) uh just as like as a doing the greater good here to get rid of this crap um but that is the 100% success that makes me hate this character. The 0% success or the negative control would be the, the movie Sing Street, which is an, a, a fantastic movie. And it's great. And Jack Rayner plays the lead character's older brother who gets him into 80s pop music. And he's just, he's lovely. He's great. I really like him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so therefore, 0% success at making me hate Jack <laughs> Um And so in this scheme, um, I think Midsommar would have to be a solid, like, 87. Um, because I do really hate is like Christian as a character, but I feel that he has some redeemable moments as opposed to the character in Transformers that I think I think is just just bad. He he's just the worst. <laughs> I don't like him, Kathleen. Yeah. I'm not sure if you got this, yeah, but I, I don't feel like, like
2: comparing him. it to uh comparing it to a <laughs> laminated role <Romeo and> eventually <laughs> is uh yeah. 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 yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. He's just oh, right. yeah. <laughs>
1: well with that, like that will bring us to the end of episode five of volume two of the arts union science podcast all that remains is our acknowledgement section and so we first have to start by thanking our first author thank you so much kathleen for agreeing to do this for taking the time on your saturday to watch the director's cut of the movie no less to put yourself through this path again and then to come on and spend a good chunk of a very bright and sunny sunday it's like uh, chatting about it
2: well thank you so much for having me this is such a privilege and it's really really nice to be able to like share in this with you of course
1: as a and we'll make sure to do this again sometime in the near to not too distant future is like when your uh when your schedule permits
2: oh that would be beautiful
1: <laughs> uh other thank yous we have to give a big thanks to brett kingrad for our impending theme song which much like the train that isn't coming i i'm starting to look at my watch more and more but you know i'm sure it's got to be just around the corner Uh, And another thank you to our fabulous editor, Felicity Like I hope that she has a fun time trying to get my extra nasally voice this week to sound good. Um, If you would like to provide a review of our submission, feel free to email us at artsunionscience at gmail.com. All one word, no caps. You can tell us if you accept our findings, accept them with revisions, or outright reject them. We in academia are used to rejection and won't take it personally. Thanks for listening, and make sure to join us again in two weeks' time for another submission to the Arts Union Science Journal.
0: Your session with the Arts Union Science Journal has expired. Please try again later.